Well, that certainly didn't go as planned. Let's talk about it here on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On UCLA. Hello, I'm your favorite host. Hopefully, it's Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and diehard UCLA fan. This, if you're watching on YouTube, is my comfort beanie. This is my win beanie. They're the same thing. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, I'm wearing a UCLA beanie because we need to be comforted today. Thanks for making Locked On UCLA your first listen each and every day. In the meantime, we'll tell you that this episode is brought to you by none other than Sling TV. Sling is something for everybody, including just crazy awesome college football coverage, massive lineup of games through all the Power Five, all the big games, ACC, Big Ten, SEC, and most importantly, the Pac-12. You can always catch all the games you want on Sling. Just check out Sling TV and see the big lineup of games all season long. The TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. Well, for UCLA in the meantime... Thanks for making Locked on UCLA your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcasts, and it's free on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe. The Bruins, there's no way to there's no way to slice it. We kind of recapped it slightly the night of the game. Now, a few days to digest, and let's give our grades overall for the team and talk about it. We're going to start offensively for UCLA. For the Bruins, you know, in a game where you're when you lose 45 to 30. At some point, there are some games in the season where UCLA or, you know, whatever you play in, in some brand of football, some function of the game, some facet, some one-third of the game, special teams, offense, and defense, there's got to be a team that can help pick up the slack when one area of the game is lacking for UCLA. Obviously, there's one side of the ball that clearly couldn't get a stop, and they will be talked about dutifully so. But it's the offense. That despite continuing every game, all seven games for the Bruins this year, posting 30 points, one interception, that was a that was one turnover, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, that didn't come till the second half. And for the Bruins, who still were able to run the ball, throw the ball, DTR just one pass completion away from 70% completion percentage, it still felt like things were off for the Bruins. It did not seem right. For a team who, yes, because you're trailing, this statism will become less important. But they didn't punt once in the entire game, did UCLA. It's rare when you put up 30 or more, but in this case, 30 points offensively for UCLA. You turn it over once in the second half. You don't punt at all. And for the most part, you're largely effective in scoring in the red zone when it comes to at least coming away with points that normally you would be happy with your performance. This was not the case. UCLA, in a game like this, for Chip Kelly's offense, for the big three with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Jake Bobo, Zach Charbonnet, who still put up good numbers if you look at them, but when it came down to critical plays, whether it be third down, especially deep in the red zone, when it came to punching it in in the red zone for sixth and tack on it to seven, as opposed to three, that's where the UCLA offense fell short. 
We can talk about one side of the ball or one play all day long, but in the end, UCLA centered, especially with Chip Kelly, around the ability to score points, and sometimes, especially in the modern day of college football, if you're going to win the game, you're going to have to win it by a big score. I said the Bruins would win this game, as I discussed in the last episode of Locked on UCLA, would win this 48-42, which clearly, if they were to be competitive in this game against Oregon in Eugene, that's how the final score would have shaped up to be. I was very wrong, but the point remains clear. UCLA was not effective in the red zone. UCLA, on four red zone trips, came away with only one touchdown. Yes, they put up points, but they scored one touchdown. And the biggest play of the game, one could argue, besides the onside kick, is that first drive. The defense held and did their job. Oregon got the ball first went down, was driving, and UCLA held them to a field goal, and we thought the Bruins, all right, Ben, but don't break, we'll do this game all day long. Well, that wasn't the case defensively, but the offense took over, went down, marched down the field. It seemed like, all right, this will be a track meet. Rain hasn't started yet. Apparently, it never rains in Austin. It was raining on the defense all day. But for UCLA, they went down the field offensively, and I think the bigger play, or the biggest play, was when they had that touchdown on third down, and had it called back due to penalty, the Bruins, I believe, only had six flags thrown against them, but all crucial penalties. Yeah, the one penalty where it came that called the first touchdown away and then eventually set up a longer third down and led to a field goal by Nicholas Barmier, who is good, three for three, in some tough conditions to kick on the road in a crazy environment, and then a penalty on the defense, which led to a late second-quarter touchdown before the half on an ill-advised pass interference. UCLA offensively, you're going to, you know, you put up 30 points. The, the numbers look clear. They were 50% on third down. It is what it is. It was when it happened, how it happened, why it happened. To where UCLA, maybe if they're not sitting on the bench for a good, what seemed like forever in the second quarter, maybe they don't get ice cold. They're back in it. They're not down two scores. You're not trying to score two touchdowns with one play, every play offensively like they were chasing down 24 to 10 in the onside kick, after the onside kick. But for the Bruins, it came down to that first possession. You could have made a statement and taken a lead, which they did not have in that game. They were down 3 nothing, tied it twice, and the Bruins looked back after the onside kick, after giving up that touchdown. UCLA offensively, a C-. minus C- minus for me simply because they moved the ball. This The optics look good, but in certain games, you need to be great. Great. Charbonnet, he was great. 150 yards, almost 7, 8 yards a pop. DTR still ran it for almost 8 yards a pop. Threw it for over 260 yards. Bobo, 8 receptions, 100 yards and a touchdown. But it just seemed like when the game was a lot closer in the first half, it became a non-factor. And the way you wanted them to go out and come out swinging after down 14 or out of the second half, all right, this is the, the third quarter where they've always made adjustments and done something. And the lackluster drives ending in three points. When you're down multiple scores, three scores out of halftime, two scores nearing the end of the second quarter, where UCLA, they just needed that one thing, you know, and Going forward, UCLA probably won't struggle too much offensively. That's just kind of the look at it, at who's coming up. The Bruins all year long have found ways to score 30 or more. 
and their nine-game winning streak slash. They've been they've been putting up points. They know what to do offensively, but they needed to pick up the slack. They definitely needed to do that. C minus, and you could you don't want to give them a D because the, the offense still did good things. You can look up and down the numbers. Even Kaz Allen getting extremely involved receiving the football, but it was clear that the running game was keyed on Charbonnet, who did a lot. But then Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who had posted good numbers, as I teased coming into the week, of one of the best na- of the nation's best, or close to it, in completion percentage. And Oregon really found ways to clog things up when UCLA moved the ball, but couldn't score in the end zone. And that truly was the difference offensively to why the Bruins couldn't do anything. They didn't punt the ball. DTR wasn't sacked, and they only allowed three tackles for loss, which, yes, those are huge, but they weren't overrun. But yes, the Ducks still dominated. It felt weird because the offense, you look, you keep looking at these numbers, and you want to say, all right, yes, 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 but no. And in the end, it was like, does the, does the Bruin offense have the ability to do it and come back? It seemed like it, but they never really truly did that in that game against Oregon. And there, there can be different ways this can go offensively, but a C-minus grade, despite a relatively decent performance against a good team on the road, arguably great team, great team on the road, with all the circumstances in the nation's eyes on, a decent performance. Certainly, the offense did not, not show up, but they needed to be better in a game where they needed to be great. It's simply, simply put, that's how it is for this one. In the meantime, let's just tell you about this week's thrilling moment in college football brought to you by Nissan. It wasn't the defense. They're coming up next. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup for Nissan are intended to empower drivers as capable as the driver themselves. Well, when I can think about unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, it has to be none other than Zach Charbonnet. Charbonnet's just a beast. We can get to it. This guy... Week in, week out, has just found ways to post numbers over and over. And against Utah and Oregon, this man has rushed for nearly 350 yards. Not losing, it seems like, a single yard. Maybe just one over the last two weeks of games played for the Bruins against the Utes and the Oregon Ducks. The two important games back-to-back in the Bruins' schedule. Charbonnet against the bigger physical, more, you know, when he needed to be. After a little bit of a light load in the first half of the season, he came through. Zach Charbonnet was the true highlight for the Bruins, showing he is just a beast. And whoever gets him at the next level will be grateful to have him as a running back in a day and age that loves to throw the football. So Zach Charbonnet is this week's thrilling moment and highlight in that game where there wasn't too much against the Oregon Ducks. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. UCLA defensively. This isn't going to be a good segment. This, There's ways this can go, good or bad, and uh, it certainly went bad. UCLA defensively, boy, oh boy, you can go ups and down all the way around. And, well, when you give up 45 points at home, that's one thing. But on the road, all right, tough environment. People have been giving up points, it seems like, to Oregon and Eugene. Seems like forever now. 
but you don't want to go back to the past. You want to do what they showed up and did on Saturday. Against the Ducks, UCLA got ran over by the Oregon rushing attack, which came in as a lethal, lethal bunch after that Georgia game. They came in and ran for 262 yards rushing. Only one rushing touchdown, technically, but between a bunch of different backs, whether it be Bo Nix, who averaged six yards a carry, you had Noah Whittingham, Whittington, excuse me, 75 yards, 73 yards. You had Bucky Irving, who ran for 107 yards, five and a half yards a pop. And then you had Sean Dollars, who came in and ran it twice, got like 13 and a half yards per carry. Their running game was just amazing when it came to 30 longs when it came to simple situations and all they had to do was hand the ball off and run for first downs they just dominated the Bruins physically up front and that was clear the Bruins no sacks they didn't give up any sacks offensively which is nice for the most part keeping DTR upright but they could not generate any pressure they did get three tackles for loss both teams did technically forced one Oregon punt the only punt of the game but for UCLA, it was Oregon going straight downhill and dominating. And when they didn't go straight downhill, well, they saw Bo Nix with one of those most fantastic passes I've seen to what Troy, Flake, Troy Franklin to take the 17-10 lead. Franklin was a stud offensively for the Ducks. So when the Bruins were manhandled up front, couldn't handle the Oregon run, it's one thing if they ran it, and that was the only thing they did when they gave up close to 600 yards of offense to the Ducks. But... Then Bo Nix, 22 of 28, who's usually right neck and neck with DTR when it comes to completion percentage. He did his number, five touchdown passes. Those little fake run here, run up, throw to the left. It just seemed like Oregon truly executed what they needed to do, especially in the passing game. The passing game, they executed in the running game. They dominated the Bruins. And while I've seen quotes from Chip Kelly coming out of practice saying, there's things defensively we can take care of, and there's some things we thought we could find a way. It's kind of paraphrasing here from when I saw it out of practice, I think tweeted by Ben Bolch, where, all right, they're fixable mistakes. Well, UCLA will have a few weeks before they face an offense that can maybe rival one of Oregon's, although in a different front, when SC comes to town in mid to late November. But until then... They're going to try and fix things, get better. They'll probably look better going forward, right? That's the thought. That's the hope against who's leaning up for the Bruins in the schedule. It's Stanford looming this week, ASU the following week on the road. Well, you're you're never going to get that. We want that again unless you get a rematch against the Ducks. Against the Ducks on a neutral site in a Pac-12 title game on December 2nd. We won't truly know how good the defense can be or how much they can adjust I mean, we can see good performances going forward. Leatu Latu couldn't get there's just no pressure, no turnovers forced. And while I had talked about in Tease what needed to be the first mistake, it wasn't a bunch, just a bunch of defensive mistakes. It was just Oregon dominant and executing. Dominant execution when they go hand in hand, unstoppable and 45 points scored for Oregon. Up and down. The only punter used, as we mentioned, Adam Barry, and the only reason Barmira was used was to kick field goals. The defense gets a grade of a D. You could give them an F, but in the end, in the end, I'm, I'm giving them the D. I don't want to give them an F. I just, I don't, I don't want to give them an F. It, you're in Oregon. It is what it is. 
Some didn't have hope for this game. Some did. They're, they get a D. D minus defensively. You might disagree and want to give them an F. And people were saying, ah, Jerry has an RO and his defense, it seems like that ghost has come through and still rubbed off on this defense. There, there's not an attack that UCLA will face all season long that can truly rival what Oregon did this most recent weekend against the Ducks until they maybe face SC and arguably Oregon till a second time that's on this Bruins schedule. The only two times UCLA has really, really struggled is when the opponent has outrushed the Bruins. And South Alabama, that was a strange one, yes. They did technically outrush against, they did outrun the Bruins on the ground. They did rush for more yards. And Oregon said, hey, we have some auxiliary statistics. We have some things where we kind of match. We like to go a little quick, a mobile quarterback, a dual threat. While they don't have a one-head giant rushing monster like Charbonnet, they had a three-headed monster between Bo Nix and a pair of backs. They had their dominant receiver and Trey Franklin. They just kind of were like a dominant, physical, more better equipped version on that day, if not overall, than the Bruins were in terms of, you look at the two teams, how they stack up. Oregon just defensively was much better than the Bruins. And when you have two, two off, you have two offenses going back and forth. Well, when one's getting seven and the Bruins are most of the time getting three, well, seven's going to be greater than three all the time. Bruins, We'll settle with the D-minus grade defensively. I don't want to give an F. We don't want to crush too much hope. But it was clear It was clear that there are certainly some struggles. It was certainly, certainly, certainly clear that the Bruins, when they're outscored 28-10 to 10 in the second quarter, after a first quarter where the defense only allowed three points in the first, of course, largely due to the amount of time taken off the clock due to both teams running the football up and down the field in that first quarter. The Bruins need to fix some things defensively. But in the end, physicality dominant up front against an Oregon offensive line, which was teased about in the crossover with Locked On Ducks and how I had mentioned in the re- recent, in the, one of the weeks last week, whatever it was, in the episode where we had the episode said, UCLA must slow down rushing attack. Keyword, slow down, not stop, slow down. And the Oregon said, no, we, we're stepping in the accelerator. And they, they zoomed. The Ducks tend to zoom, and they zoomed on national television against UCLA's defense. There, there's, there's no way to put it. You give it 45, almost 600 yards, you get a D-. minus. No, no reason for an F. All the reasons in the world for an F. But still, going forward, UCLA, if they ever get in a game like this with Oregon again, the offense needs to keep up pace for pace pound for pound, score for score, and then maybe you can get a mistake from Oregon, which Oregon never ended up making. And that comes down to the final point of this episode, the play that truly changed the game and my thoughts about it. But first, if you're sweating through that game, like I was, a brutal day of college football, especially me personally, overall, it was Bruin fans, it wasn't the best. We were sweating through it. All morning long, waking up early to watch college game day. Two weeks, in fact, worth of waiting. We're sweating. But, y- y- you know, if you experience sweat like I do, I had to wear a, an undershirt underneath my dress shirt before I had to go to work after that UCLA game. Oh, my goodness. Tell me my mood I was in. You could see that last episode, what mood I was in. In the meantime, if, you, if you're sweating like I was going through it all, you don't need to worry about embarrassing sweat or embarrassing odors. You can fix the problem. 
I don't need to stink anymore. Neither do you guys. You don't have to have embarrassing, excessive amounts of sweat. Sweat block was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. And just know it's doctor approved. And, it, you know, it, you can help fix your problem with sweat block. You can give, it can give you the confidence sweat block can to wear what you want without embarrassing underarm sweats. The sweat block wipes were featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show and by firefighters. Boom, it works. Don't be stinking. If you or someone you know is experiencing, someone you love experiencing, embarrassing sweat or odor, oof, stinky, stinky, try sweat block. Try it. Save 20% with the promo code locked on, that's two words, at sweatblock.com. Once again, that's save 20% with the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. And no more embarrassing sweat and no more embarrassing odor. Lord knows we're going to have so many more moments still, even though they may not be predictable or whatnot, that the Bruins will give us reasons to sweat out a game coming down the rest of the season. Finally, the end of this podcast will end with the special teams unit, which played an important factor with this role. It's weird because, one, special teams look good if you look at the field goal unit. The punting punting unit never came on. So largely you think, all right, Barmira with the conditions, kicking longer field goals and such, despite a little bit of wind, rain, everything on the line, he was able to match it with field goals. That game could have been a lot worse if Barmira couldn't make a field goal. He did of toning for an earlier miss, the toning for the Bowling Green game with the South Alabama winner, and atoning for that very oddly shanked field goal against Utah. He came through and was money with some important kicks on the line to keep the Bruins semi in it going forward from the first, the second, and the third for pretty much that was all she wrote after halftime. Punning, if that never comes on, you would think, all right, special teams has got to have a win. But then it was the kick return unit on one fateful play where Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks said, all right, we'll dial one like the ultra-aggressive chip days of old when he was back in Eugene. The Ducks were doing everything before everybody thought of it. Going for two, everything crazy. They went for the onside kick. You could go look at the photos and the evidence, whether it was a block downfield before the ball reached 10 yards downfield. You could talk about it, whatever it is. There's two ideas here. One, you have to be coached. You have to be prepared. And while we don't want to single out any one to two players here on this, you have to be ready for something like this. You never know. And if it backfires, well, UCLA was already down a touchdown. This is the old NCAA 14 model, right? When you play college football on the old school, the old school game, the last one that was released before it gets released next year whatever console you played it on. When I play it, I always onside kick so I can try and get the ball or have the other opponent score quick and we can dominate time of possession. Not exactly what Oregon was going for here, but still UCLA wasn't ready. And it's just one moment, one perfect kick, one player five yards a little too short, an arguably close block when it comes to the the real technicality about the rule of blocking downfield in terms of the ball traveling down the field. But if you really want to get technical about it, even Chip Kelly said, all right, well, we got to be coached better. We didn't really prepare as much, which is the coach big term for. It doesn't matter. We still should have recovered it, and the Bruins should have been in excellent field position. But that was truly the swing-turning play. I point back to that first drive where they didn't score a touchdown and a couple of penalties in a row to back them up and force them to kick a field goal against Oregon. 
in that first drive where they could have taken their first and what would have been only lead, I guess, of the game. In the meantime, Oregon said, all right, we're down the field, big moments, big times, and they went for the onside kick. Special teams, well, you want to give them a high grade because punting never came out. The field goal unit was excellent considering, considering everything. But just because of the onside kick, that, that was such a crucial swing point in the game. You, you can say, we can all say, I could sit here and say, what would that game have been like if UCLA was not down two scores trying to chase multiple, multiple touchdowns, you know, two scores for a large point. And it was extremely disappointing when they went down 14 and ended up kicking a field goal as opposed to ending with the touchdown. Those were those two back-to-back moments where it went onside kick, field goal, touchdown, Oregon, and that was the gut punch. wasn't that they were down 14. It It was that fact that they were down three scores heading into the locker room, even though they got the ball. That was the real gut-punching blow. Special teams, you can argue that they get a C-, minus D plus only because of the onside kick. Everything else, they seem to be doing just fine. But for the Bruins, what could have been, right? What could have been? An onside kick, and maybe it's 17-17, it's 17-13, and it's exciting back and forth. And even if the defense was struggling, the offense could have had their moment. But the defense really seemed to lose some gas in that second quarter after this onside kick going on back-to-back times. And confidence was seemingly in the spirit. They always kept going to the end, right? They kept fighting and fighting. But the spirit was truly, you know, especially the fans, gut-punched, shattered. And you just realize, oh, this was not the Bruins' day. Oregon came out and won the game. And I mentioned there's third down conversions. Well, Oregon was pretty good at that and pretty good at limiting important, crucial third downs, which led to UCLA's inefficiency in the red zone. And there wasn't a big mistake. There was a big game-changing play. There wasn't the mistake. It wasn't the first mistake. You could argue, as I say, special teams, that was a mistake. But still, you have the guts to make that call. You have to tip your cap. In the end, you can see that Oregon ran the football and the Bruins, well, in a high-scoring game, didn't get that one chance to kind of not to, to rock back and get it closer. In the end, Oregon was the better team, especially on that day, and they could possibly prove it again, UCLA. And I'd love to see another rematch at a neutral site and say, all right, coaching can be, they can be coached up better and be ready to go. In the end, we just have to wait and see if that, is what lines up in the cards for the Bruins to exact revenge against Oregon. Overall, the season is not over. Despite having relaunched this podcast and enjoying it, and we all got a lot of wins, a lot of fun out of it, at some point, every team, whether it's in season, whether it takes a year or a bit, they do eventually lose and the Bruins lost. And while we enjoy the 6-0 run, we're going to enjoy the run to get to the Pac-12 title game because the Bruins, there can be some nonsense where there could be a three-team tiebreaker or even something crazier than that if things go the wrong way down the stretch. But UCLA, for the most part, has their path where, for the most part, they can win and they're in, barring some crazy US, crazy Utah and Oregon circumstances later in November, just around when UCLA plays SC. So in the end, you beat SC, we all smile and forget the Oregon game. That's what happens. The season's not over. We'll talk about that tomorrow, about why to not fear and why to enjoy the rest of this Bruins season and keep celebrating who's here building 
for the Big Ten. All right, let, let's get ready. Let's end this on a high note. Let's get those hands in the air. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U C L A. U C L A. Fight, fight, fight. Let's go. And in the meantime, after this podcast, well, you guys can go. Thanks for making Locked On UCLA your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports Today. Yes, Locked On Sports Today. It's from the games that matter to the most impactful stories in sports. You can go beyond the scoreboard, behind the scenes, with local experts, insights only that Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today. Go check it out. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Make that your second listen today. In the meantime, for Locked On UCLA, thanks for watching. Tune in. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Thanks for your support. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins!